0: Deslinden, welcome to the morning shakeout podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, I'm sure we're going to talk about plenty of running related things here over the next hour or so, but I want to geek out for a minute. First, it's mid morning for me. I'm on my second cup of coffee. I think it's <laughs> midday for you at this point, but I know you are quite the coffee connoisseur. What did you have in your cup this morning and how did you prepare it?
1: Yeah, Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm an espresso person all the way, and I actually just came back from Europe, I'm a little jet lagged, um, so I've had three Americanos thus far, and I can't, Ryan's got a bunch of stuff he's been trying out, um, beans-wise, so I don't even know what it was, it was like a variety that we've gone through this morning, and they've all been good.
0: (laughs) So do you guys have a little lab in your kitchen, like an espresso machine, maybe an AeroPress, or a Chemex, or a French press, or... Um, do you guys just go straight espresso all the time?
1: We have the whole assortment, um, from like a Turkish coffee roaster machine, which is not really a machine, just go stovetop. We have the Chemex, we have the AeroPress, we have the siphon, uh, you name it. If it makes coffee, we have it. Um, but we, it's they've all kind of collected dust, we have a rocket espresso machine and it's it's been the go-to since we got it. So that's where we've been, um, as of late.
0: Man, I am super jealous. I have to come over sometime and, uh, have some coffee <laughs> time with you guys. Um, Absolutely. continuing on the coffee theme for a little bit, how does it fit into your, your training and, and racing? Are you someone who will have an espresso or two before you head out for your workout? Do you need to, or, um, do you try to restrain yourself from time to time?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a morning coffee, uh, pre-run, pre-workout person. Um, mostly I just have to get up and walk around for a while because I'm in my mid thirties and like I gotta warm up before I start my run. And so if I'm going to do that, I'm going to get a cup of coffee and get the body warmed up, get the belly warmed up, uh, take care of all of that before I head out the door and it just puts me in a little bit of a better mood. Um, yeah, and I don't like. I don't really shy away from it. I'm not one of the taper believers. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of routine to have one in the morning before the run. And then when I come back, another one.
0: (laughs) Very good. Um, So, here we are. We're about just shy of 13 weeks out from Boston Marathon. Um, You finished fourth there last year. I know that was a tough race for you. Just take me through, um, you know, take me through that. Experience a little bit.
1: Yeah, uh, gosh, it seems like forever ago. Um, I think coming off the Olympic Games, you have to have something that's going to get you really fired up and motivated to just kind of keep training hard and kind of keep that enthusiasm. And Boston's definitely the, the race for me. Um, so I was pretty fired up and, you know, getting the win there was a big um, motivator to get out and keep grinding for another four years. (laughs) Um, so, but it was, you know, like take it one step at a time. And that, that was the thing that got me fired up. And so I had a really um, big goals and a lot of intensity and, um, was really pushing for fitness like every, every day and, um, kind of, you know, just put on the gas, probably trials games and through that, that marathon. And, um, yeah, no, I mean, I went after it and I felt like I Race to my potential, and like I squeezed a lot of fitness out of myself in the training and was really prepared. Um, I just got beat by better people, which is, you know, it happens. Uh, but it's, it was definitely like not just post Boston that was kind of a letdown. It was like this string of really big races, and then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, like I need to take some kind of break. Like that was just exhausting and not just, you know the last three months getting ready for Boston. So, um, yeah, that was physically, emotionally a really big day. And then like, it would be like having three Christmases back to back (laughs) and then we're like, Oh, now what? Like that was, uh, so it was, it was exhausting. (laughs)
0: Um, in the race itself, you were the early aggressor. You were kind of pushing the pace, um, early on keeping things honest and, you know, eventually the, the top three women, you know, pulled away and you just couldn't match that move. Take me through that moment. Like what goes through your head at that time? When you're like, okay, I'm in control here. I'm pushing and pushing, you know, I'm still in contention. And all of a sudden they're gone. Um, and you still got, you know, almost 10 miles to go in the race. What, what's going through your head at that moment?
1: Yeah, I think you, try to stay optimistic and even being on the front, like I'm not trying to break the race open from the fourth mile or the sixth mile or wherever. It's just keeping the pace honest enough so that when the moves, like maybe it's too aggressive and someone comes back or maybe, you know, you just have to stay, cover half the move and then you can get yourself back into it. Um So, you know, when it did break, it totally got away where no one was coming back and you could just see the like blazing out in the front and you're like man that, that was pretty hard because I felt really ready and then it was just like it was very humbling like you're not even you're not even close today like they're going to do something super special um you know they ran they ran really fast uh for the course and you know, obviously Jordan had the fastest American debut ever um and I can't remember the woman who was second uh, but obviously she's a stellar competitor so I mean again you got I got beat by three people who are very good and and ran really well on the day. So, um, it was tough, but it was also like, you know, they're, they're great and that's what it takes to win here. So that's, you know, it is what it is.
0: Let's talk about Boston in general for you. What is it, what is it about that race and, and that city in particular that keeps, bringing you back. You made your marathon debut there way back when you ran your first trials in Boston. You were second there in 2011. You had a solid race there uh, in 2017. You're coming back in 2018. Um, and obviously in 2018, there's going to be a really strong women's field, especially on the American side. What is it about Boston? I mean, heck, you named your dog Boston. Uh, <laughs> so I'd like to dig into that a little bit further if we can.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's Ryan's dog, Um, and he named him Boston, but I was like, yeah, that's totally cool. It's it's a good name. Uh, but I mean, obviously everyone talks about the history and the feel of the course and so on and so forth. Um, for me, it's, it's the people that put the event on and the spectators that show up, um, you know, Jack Fleming and Gloria Ratty from the BAA are some of the first people I met as a pro runner. And, um, when I debuted there, you know, we did the course tour and the whole thing and they like welcomed us in. Like we were big time pros, you know? And I was like, I'm a nobody. I'm like just trying to get my Olympic trials qualifier. And you know, they treated you like you belonged and they believed in you and they still do to this day. Like they're every time I see them, it's like a little reunion. And, um, same thing. The first time I got to run in the John Hancock elite field, it's like they believe in everyone and everyone that's invited, you know, they, believe can contend for the win and um it just feels different the hospitality's different and you know every year you see the same people and you go back and it's like a little reunion um so those that's really special to me and i've gotten to know a lot of those people very well um so it's it's an honor to be invited back and i jump as soon as they extend an invitation like yeah absolutely um and then the i mean obviously the fans are the most knowledgeable fans in the world i mean and and the runners on the course they're the best of the best when it comes to the mass races and so you get a different um there's like a respect when you're out there I guess maybe like people get what the event is about and what they're watching is really unique and so all of that I think for me makes it really exciting
0: right on you alluded to your post boston slump from last year and the fact that it wasn't just related to boston but kind of all of those christmases that you had leading mm-hmm. up to it uh and you were you know partied out for lack of a better term, um, (laughs) after Boston. So you've taken some time, you know, since then, I remember reading an article where you didn't really do much running between Boston and, you know, the end of last summer really. Uh, and then started kind of getting back into things and you've been racing some shorter stuff, 5k road champs, a little cross country here and there. You just got back from Italy, uh, where you threw down a couple races. When did the, You know, when did the spark kind of reignite to go back to Boston in 2018 and and just the marathon in general? And, um, how are you feeling at at this point, three months out from Mm -hmm. your next go at it?
1: Yeah, I think skipping the fall marathon, um, and like not really having that focus this fall and getting the invitation to Boston, um, and also watching, you know, Shalane and Amy, um, Sarah Hall. I mean, a lot of really great marathons this fall, like those things all really fired me up to get going again. Um, like I actually watched those and i was like, I feel like I'm missing out. Like I want to be doing that. Uh, so that was, that was good. Um, physically it's like doing the shorter stuff. has been really hard. I'm like, so I'm ready to get back to the longer stuff. I feel like almost like sucking it cross country and five K's is like, okay, like just got through this. And then you get to go back to the fun stuff. Like this is a necessary evil. Um, so that's definitely got me fired up to, to get back to the longer stuff. And, you know, hopefully it, um, shows that it was beneficial, um, where it needs to be. You know, I, I know I'm not going to go win, uh, Campaccio cross country <laughs> because Helen O'Beary's in the race and like a slew of other really great Kenyans who are good in the mud and like, like I'm not racing them, but just to be, you know, working on that stuff and getting through it, staying healthy, because um, that's kind of where I struggled in the past. Is like getting through a speed segment while staying healthy um, was necessary, and I think it. I think it will pay off. You just being having a little bit fresher legs, and then like I was able to do some good quality stuff, even though results don't necessarily show it, um, I got work in that was necessary. So hopefully that will all translate to a a good spring. And, um, yeah, you know, so all those things combined just kind of have got me fired up for it again, for sure.
0: And looking ahead to this year's race and the American field that's coming together, how often do you think about that? Or do you just try to stay focused on what you need to do to get in the best shape possible before April 16th?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's always, you know, control the controllables, but there's certainly another level of excitement about it Um, to have everyone in the same field. Well, you know, the the group they're bringing in is is incredible, but it's also not, I mean, it's not really surprising because there's just so much depth on the women's side right now. Like if they bring in three really good Americans, it's going to be very strong and it doesn't matter who they are, um, you know, and that's missing Amy Craig and Laura Thweet and I'm sure a handful of other people um, who could swap out with some of, the, some of the people that are in the field right now. So, you know, American women are just really strong right now. So it's not, uh, it's not surprising to have that kind of a stacked field.
0: Maybe too early to ask, what are your own expectations heading into this year's race?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to be competitive. I, you know, I've generally finished top four, top five there. Um, so I think that would be great. Uh, obviously it's, it is super early. So see what the body's ready for. Um, and how the training goes. But, you know, I, I finished second there and it's hard to say. Yeah. I hope I. And do the same thing over again. You're always trying to be a little bit better than before, but I also know that the field is probably the best it's ever been. So I don't know. I mean, right now it's just, uh, get fit and put myself in position to do something special and see what that is. You know.
0: Let's take a little step back. You've been in Michigan training with Hanson's Brooks distance project for, I believe almost 12 years now, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, under the same coaches, Keith and Kevin Hansen. they have their own philosophy uh on marathon training and you've been committed to it for the duration of your professional career how important has that relationship been for your development as an athlete and how has your training progressed um you know over the past 10 to 12 years
1: mm-hmm. um yeah no i think consistency is key and uh buying into a system has made all the difference for me you know you can't um it's hard to have success when you don't believe in what you're doing. So, you know, we're, re- we're really a partnership. And um, I think that's why I've, you know, had the success I've had. Um, so, yeah, that's that's obviously very important. And as far as how we've progressed, I feel like um, we've always balanced, I guess, speed and the strength stuff, which has been really important. So, like a marathon training segment, Might always look really similar, but it's the segments around it that, um, make it, you know, just different. Um, and I think too, it's, you know, again, the training's usually the same, but as an athlete, you're different. So you might be attacking workouts a different way or, um, just be stronger and focusing on that or have a little more speed at a certain point and be able to do those workouts a little bit better. But the, the philosophy and like the, the race plans and all that stuff. They're really, it's pretty similar all the time and it's just getting better at running that training um, and then making little incremental um, jumps as you go and, and then go back and do the same thing a little bit better than before. So um, it's worked so far. And I think, you know, I'll reach a point where I do have a plateau and we'll sit down and talk about how we might shake things up or what we could do different or better Um, and just start taking some risks when we get to that point in terms of like, all right, let's just try and see what happens. Like there's, you know, I've accomplished a lot with this and, um, now there's nothing to lose. Just, uh, kind of play around with it and see if we can, can't make it a little bit better. But, um, you know, I don't think this will be the segment where we do it. I don't know when that will happen, but we're probably going to stick with the normal stuff right now. Um, and just try to be a little bit better than before. So.
0: What's changed for you now at 34, or at least how you approach your training at 34 versus when you were, you know, in your early 20s, just out of college?
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm waiting for the day when I'm like, I just can't recover um, or, you know, I don't know. Like, it doesn't really feel like much has changed. Like, I can do um, more volume. Uh, I mean, and I do have, like, I guess. The thing for me is like the speed work gets really hard. Like I can't recover from that, and that's probably the time I notice it the most. But then it's like be better about seeing physio or uh, get a massage. Like little things that you take for granted when you're in your 20s, or like roll like rolling out of bed and like starting your run at 6:50 pace. Like I I can't do that. (laughs) Um, I get up three hours before and have coffee and walk around to warm everything up. So I guess there's little things, but, um, I don't, it hasn't changed a ton. Um, and I think part of it is like we have young fresh teammates coming in all the time who they're super motivated and they're out of college and they're like, yeah, like we did this, you know, core routine at school and it's just routine for them. So they, they keep doing that stuff and it reminds you, oh yeah, I still need to do that stuff as well. Um, and then there's other things where I'm, doing prehab stuff and like warming up and this and that and the other thing. And they see that and they're like, Oh, like maybe I should incorporate that in before I turn 34. And then, you know, it will help me delay those things a little bit longer. So it's nice to have young teammates that we can um, balance each other's strength and weaknesses out.
0: You've had a long marathon career at this point. You certainly dealt with some injuries and hiccups along the way, but how important has the recovery aspects been for you and what do you do after a big race to just sort of unplug from that regular routine for a while and recharge your batteries before the next go?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable just getting out of shape. You know, I, I would take two weeks off typically. Um, And that's like totally off. Don't go on a vacation. Don't bring the running shoes or like you know, be at home, but just you're not running. Maybe I'll ride a bike or go, you know, kayak, something like that. But uh, I'm not thinking about running. And that's as much mental as it is physical. Um, and in the past couple marathons, it's been like, you know, actually, I think I need three weeks off. And, and then you just slowly get back into it. So I think it can be hard in between when you're like, well, I want to try to fit in a half marathon or do a couple 10Ks. Um, and the fitness doesn't quite come around as quickly as you'd like, but, you know, I'm comfortable saying I'm a marathoner and everything feeds into running the next marathon and making sure that's great. So if that means being a little out of shape for some summer racing or, you know, some off-season racing, that's that's okay. I think you kind of um check your ego when it comes to that stuff and know that it, it's kind of playing into the bigger picture.
0: How are you structuring your time when you're either not training or in between workouts and just recovering? A lot of people, a lot of runners that I know, at least the average age group, they'll sit around, they're thinking about, their running, they're overanalyzing the splits of their workout, getting antsy for the next one. How do you step back and just sort of um, unwind from all of that, which is often <laughs> self-induced, self-induced pressure?
1: Yeah. No, I do the same thing for sure. Like you're looking at the splits of the workout and you're like, oh, why didn't I do that one better or whatever? Um, but yeah, I think do on that. It's just exhausting in a totally different way. Um, I try to have things going on in my life besides just running. And I have two awesome dogs that I play around with. Um, I'm a big reader. So I'll just I'll pick up something that has nothing to do um, with running and just be into that for a while um yeah and i feel like as of late i've kind of like unplugged uh from the running like social media stuff and um just like looked at it less and also um like i've created like running lists on my like twitter account so like my main feed is like stuff that has nothing to do with it and then if i feel like digging into like the running world like
0: Can always go back to it.
1: Right. It's there, but it's not like the first thing I want to look at. Like, you know, it's just another list of things that I can look through, um, which is really random, but I feel like that's actually been helpful.
0: (laughs) I know you also listen to a lot of podcasts. What is Mm -hmm. in your podcast player right now? And I'm mainly asking this because I kind of want to know for myself. So I have some good shows to listen to here. Yeah.
1: Um, I actually, I, the one you put out on your newsletter, um, it was, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but they were talking with a bunch of different writers and there was, um, interview with the lady who wrote quiet in the world of introverts or world of extroverts had to be an introvert or something. Um, and then there was an art of negotiation. I don't remember the name of it, but it was on your uh, notes. So you should look that up.
0: <laughs> I should look that up. Cause I can't think of it off the top of my head either.
1: Yeah. Um, the one I really like, like my go-to is um, bang bang <laughs> and it's, uh, it's all improv and, um, there's, you know, just guests who come in either as themselves and they just kind of chat, um, or they have guests who come in and play these characters and it, they just improv the whole time. And they act up these rules. And it's, it's absolutely hilarious. Like I'll be sitting, um, I'll throw headphones on my husband works from home and he'll walk out and just be like, what can you please stop laughing? Like, I'll just be like cracking up crying. And he's like, what is going on? Um, but it's, it's, I think they do two a week and it's really funny. I'll
0: have to check that out. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned your husband, Ryan, one thing we share in common is we're both married to competitive age group triathletes, which Ryan is, and my wife happens to be as well. How does that balance work in your household when you're both, uh, when you're both training hard and out doing your own thing? Do you guys, um, you know, try to make time to step away from it all? Obviously you're going to be supportive of one another, but how does, how does that work? It's tough when there's two athletes training, uh, pretty much full time all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I think I was on a podcast recently and I was like, it doesn't work, it's a mess. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, actually, it works because Ryan's just an incredible human, and he's uh he's just like always so positive. Um, so he'll do his workout and you know put his time in, and that's like just compartmentalized. He does that, and then he goes to work for the day and he's always in a pretty good mood, and then he does his afternoon one um and he, whether it goes awful or great. Kind of always the same, you know, person. He doesn't really let it, uh, uh, let it affect him. Uh, where I will come home and like stew about it for a while. And, um, so I think I get a lot more out of the relationship than he does where I'm like, Oh, like he's so chill. Like I need to just calm down about this one workout or whatever. Um, and also the time commitment of the triathletes is, uh, it's unreal. So I'll be, you know, grumpy about like, <laughs> I'm tired because this long run, you know, blah, blah. Um, I'm so sleepy. I've been running so much or I've been working so hard and he's doing
0: the training for the day or something.
1: Right. Right. And I'm like, I should probably just keep that to myself. So most of it's him balancing me. Like, Hey, it's, I mean, it's hard, but you can do it. And he does the full-time job. So it's like, I really have no room to complain.
0: Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about Sort of the state of the sport of, we'll say athletics, track and field, road racing in general. How do you feel about where things are at right now in this country in terms of making the sport something that's kind of popular and viable and, and something for fans to get excited about? Do you feel like, you know, improvements have been made in your time as a, as a professional? Or do you think there's still a long way to go?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's definitely still a long way to go. Um, it's really hard because as far as the marathon goes, I think, I mean, you look at Boston this year and people are pretty fired up and it's exciting. And, you know, it's hard to argue that we haven't come a long way. Um, but track and field's a whole different world. Um, that I think, you know, needs a lot of work. I'm not saying that the marathon doesn't, I just think they're very different. Um, they're just very different, you know? Uh, and it's, I think it's really hard just because there's the hundred meters is totally different audience from the 10,000 meters backfield. Um, you know, the javelin fans are not necessarily watching, you know, like it's just so many audiences and it's, uh, you have to pack it all into X amount of time and make it interesting for everyone. It's like if you're watching an NFL game and then, you know, after the first quarter they showed lawn darts for 10 minutes and then said, hold on, like, just please don't change from the game. We're going to come back, but lawn darts for 10 minutes. And then, you know, it's it's just that the events are so different. And I think, honestly, I think that like, if you split it out and said, there's a sprint league, there's a distance, mid distance league, Um, and there's field events, then you could allow everyone to cater to their audience. I just don't know if you would have uh, enough fans, but obviously again, road racing and marathons have done a great job with it. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, they, all of these events get lumped under track and field as one sport, but each event is, you know, sort of its own thing. You can group a couple of them together, the 100 and the 200 and maybe even the 400 and then the 8 and 15 and then 5K, 10K and all that. But you're right. I mean, the audiences are, are completely different. Do you, you know, do you think our sport can be presented differently in an effort to kind of garner more excitement or is it okay that they remain sort of niche in their own way?
1: Um, I don't know. I guess I just, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good that mid distance can take care of mid distance, but can it survive on its own? I don't know. Um, Yeah, I don't. I don't really have an answer for that.
0: (laughs) So it looks like we won't solve all of track and fields problems in this next (laughs) hour. That's all right. Um, Yourself, just as a as a professional, how is your outlook on your role um, as an athlete and what you need to do to be a quote-unquote professional evolved over the course of your career? Because we live in a totally different time now than than we did in 2006 in terms of what that means.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it has changed a ton. And actually, I feel like I've seen it from quite a few different angles because I wasn't someone who was getting any kind of offers coming out of college. It was like my number one job was to just Try to, you know, make it time wise into races and, um, stay in the sport where I could, you know, one more year, one more year, like, let's just be allowed to compete and then give yourself an opportunity to um, be in some big races. So that, I mean, I think it's the biggest thing for me at a young age. And I think I see that with a lot of the Hanson's runners right now. You know, like, it's a great opportunity to just, Try to compete and stay in the sport. And then at a certain point, um, if you run well enough, it becomes a business, you know, it really is a business where, um, you have to figure out who to work with, who are the best people that help me. Um, and like, can I do this as a career? And that becomes. Uh, more than just running every day, more than putting your head down and trying to run fast times. It's like, it is the marketing. It's the Twitter. It's Instagram. Um, and there's a, there is a lot more opportunities, which is great because it allows people to stay in the sport longer. And I think a lot of it too is how you use your time in between training because it doesn't take up your entire day. It take, can take up a lot of your day, but you know, you have hours where you're not napping, you're not you know, stretching and you're just kind of relaxing and, you know, what you do there makes a big difference. Um, I think learning how to public speak is a really valuable tool. Um, you know, learn about branding your story and how to tell that, how to connect with people. I think when we can take the sport and connect it to the activity, uh, when we start bridging that gap, then you can go from, you know, having running as a hobby or something getting you by to taking running and making it a career. Um, you know, and it, it sells the sport too. So, yeah, and there's a lot of a lot of different ways to do that. But you also have to run well enough to have the platform to do that. So it was a lot to juggle.
0: <laughs> and in your own case. I mean, you're 34 years old now. Um, we can talk about this in a little bit. I don't know how much longer you plan on competing, but what have you been doing just over the past few years to set yourself up for post-running and what that might hold for you? What, Like, what are your areas of interest and what have you been doing to sort of prepare for that whenever it may be?
1: <laughs> uh, nothing. Thanks for freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, I, I like to think that, like, a lot of the stuff I'm doing terms of, like, I do get to public speak a lot and I've gotten better at it, but, um, you know, I think that will help me in the future. Um, I, I work with, uh, Josh Cox as an he's my agent and, um, we talked a lot about, cause he wasn't an agent, uh, when I first met him and we've talked a lot about, you know, um, that side of the sport and, uh, helping athletes out. And so I've learned a ton from him and that might be a direction I go afterwards. Um, and then there's part of me that's like, I don't, maybe I don't want to do anything in the sport at all. So like I can just package this up as like, well, ran a small business for a while, um, has some experience. <laughs> so I don't know. I, it's stressful to think about and I try not to do that too much. <laughs> Thanks a lot.
0: <laughs> Sorry to freak you out.
1: No, it's okay.
0: Um, moving, moving on and moving back rather to just sort of the sport as a whole, um, in marathoning, we've, we've heard a lot, um, about doping over the past few years and, and certainly in track and field as well. And it's sort of permeated, I guess, professional sport as a, as a whole, and it can make things, you know, really sour from uh, a fan's perspective to get excited about things. How do you as an athlete sort of deal with all of that? Um, and has it ever, discouraged you at all and made you rethink your decision to stick with the sport for as long as you have.
1: Yeah. I think that's a constant, um, struggle for me because I'm a fan of the sport. And then you have these really big moments that are taken away, um, as a fan. And you're just like, what's, what's the point? And, you know, I, I think that's kind of why post Boston, I was just like in such a rut too. Cause that the whole like, as you're getting in, ready to go into this really big race, um, and the, it turns out the Olympic gold medalist is like been busted for cheating and you don't know whether those results are going to change or if it's only going to be good forward or whatever. Um, it's just like, man, why do I work so hard at this? This is, it's just, it's a waste of time. Uh, and you feel like that as a fan and as a competitor, but then also like you're getting ready for this really big race and you can't, you can't think like that because. You have no chance, right? Yeah. Um, and so that was really hard, but I think it ultimately, um, you know, you do what you can do the best you can and what's gonna, uh, you know, what you can be proud of at the end of the day. Like it, it's, it's so cliche, but control the controllables. Mm. Um, do it the right way for yourself. And there's times when I, I will speak up and I'll have an opinion on the doping thing and, you know, I'll, Voice it and I don't really care about the backlash because it's where I stand on it. And I think that as an athlete, you know, if you say nothing, it's almost like part of the problem, but I also understand where sometimes it's best to just say nothing. So I go back and forth on it all the time. And that's, that's been super frustrating. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's been my entire time in the sport is something that you deal with. I guess early on, it didn't really matter because, you know, I wasn't. I didn't really have a voice to say anything and I was just trying to stay in this sport. But as soon as you have a platform to say something, you kind of wrestle with that because if you don't, are you part of the problem? And if you do, like, is it helping? So, yeah, I mean, it's there's no easy answer to that for sure.
0: And do you think the situation has improved since your professional career started in terms of policing, doping and deterring people from cheating? I mean, it'll never be eradicated completely. That's just life. Um, but do you have a sense that, you know, people are are playing on a more level field than they were, say, five years ago or 10 years ago? Or do you think the problem is still as bad as it's ever been?
1: Um. I don't know some day. I mean, it just depends what my mood is. If I want to be cynical (laughs) and uh, and some days I want to be an optimist. I don't, I don't really know, to be honest. Um, but again, like I just kind of say, you know what, all I can do is what I can do. So yeah, I mean, you could ask me that every day of the week and I would probably have a different answer for you.
0: (laughs) Got it. Um, switching gears again, you know, one thing that, that I see as, a coach and observer of the sport is there is a disconnect oftentimes between the front of the field and the middle and back of the Packers. Um, despite the participation numbers at marathons and half marathons, a lot of people, you know, behind you on the starting line could care less what's going on at the front or don't even look afterward to see who won the race. What do you think can be done or what have you tried to do to sort of bridge that gap and show sort of the mid to back of the Packers that you guys have more in common than you do different.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's really important. And um it's hard to know what the best way to approach it is, but I do like for me personally, it's sharing the entire experience, you know, like, I didn't have to tell people that I was in a slump this fall, or unmotivated, or like, just didn't want to get out the door. But I think it's valuable. I think everyone goes through that. And it's the person who's finishing last and, you know, the pros too. I think it's pretty universal. I think there's a lot of experiences like that. There's days where you, you don't want to go out and run. Um And there's days where you just, like, feel great. And you, you ex- share the entire experience, and I think it will connect with more people instead of just the days that are super dialed and elite, you know. Um I don't know. I think it's just talking about all of it because it is a, a very universal sport. uh Good days, bad days, injuries, the whole thing. And so um yeah, the more you can share with people, I think the more they'll realize that it's actually pretty similar. Just beyond the pace, everything's pretty similar. It's right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, repeat. And, you know, that's across the board. So there's got to be some things that we can connect on. It's just finding the ones that resonate.
0: Yeah. And you know, I think specific to your case, um, the slump that you had alluded to after Boston last year, and even back as far as 2012, when you were injured going into the Olympics and couldn't finish the race and you knew going into it that you couldn't finish the race. And that's not a fun position to be in, to be at the Olympic games, knowing you're not, you know, at your best, um, on the starting line, how did you work through those difficult moments? And what is it ultimately that kind of, kickstarted you again to, to get going and and get back into training or to stick with it when it seemed hopeless, maybe at, at one time?
1: hmm Um, well, in, in 2012, I think getting kind of the information and knowing what the injury was, was really, really helpful. Cause it was just like, oh yeah, like tendonitis and I don't think that's it. Um, and then you just feel kind of crazy. <laughs> So getting a real diagnosis and be like, okay, this is, you're actually hurt and it's going to take a while and here's a plan. Um, and here's how you can get better. Like that was really helpful. Um, and then also having that really big experience, essentially not taken away, but not be what you wanted it to be, mm-hmm. um, was, you know, it was easy to put the next thing, the next big goal down, like, Hey, let's just try to make this better. Um, you know. I want to try to make another Olympic team and have this go a totally different way. Uh, so that was, that was, as soon as I'm healthy, like this is the thing we're circling and I'm going to do everything I can and put all the pieces in place to make sure I'm ready to make the 2016 team. And that was, you know, that was like a no brainer. Um, this, this side was probably been more difficult and mostly because, um, I know I'm sort of at the other, like the back half of my career, and I feel um, pretty satisfied, like, with what I've done. I'm, like, you know, I've accomplished way more than I ever expected to. Um, and so, yeah, I think Boston's an easy thing to put on the schedule because that means so much. Um, and that, I think, will certainly help. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe after this Boston, it'll be the same thing. I'm not really sure. Um, so I'm trying to put that in place right now, I guess. So I can't, I mean, I don't necessarily think I have it solved, um, which is interesting because it's, I guess it's good and bad. Like, I guess it's not the worst feeling in the world to be like, well, I feel pretty content with what I've accomplished. Like if, if it doesn't come back, if the spark doesn't come back, like I could walk away and be like, okay, like that was a, that was a good run. Um, but I hope it does because I love to compete and I would love to win a major, but I also understand that those are really lofty goals. And so, um, you know, there's a handful of things left that I would like to do, but they're, they're going to be really hard. So it's, it's whether or not that gets me excited or almost depresses me where I'm like, I'm good.
0: <laughs> Can we dig into that a little bit more? What are some of those yeah. things that, that get you excited or that you'd like to do before you ultimately call it a career?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I might have a marathon PR in me. Um, you know, if I get on a flat fast course and get the right day, I mean, I've been running New York's and Boston's and, you know, Rio was hot. The trials were hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, it was like I ran Berlin coming back from a really big injury. So I don't know. I, maybe I could PR. That would be fun to at least take a crack at it. Um, I think I can PR in the half, like my half, is really soft. It's whether or not I want to commit to doing a half build up, uh, which may or may not be in the cards.
0: You could always and do then, it in the marathon itself. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> just
1: get out really hard.
0: <laughs> so I think you've run what 110 and some change.
1: Yeah, one ten thirty 30 ish. So, so yeah, not, un, not unrealistic, do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to do the marathon Pierre, <laughs> I might as well just double dip. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. And then winning something and you know, like right now, it's a major, which would be fantastic, but I get that that's incredibly hard. And then I don't know, maybe as that as um, that gets out of reach, if I feel like the wheels are coming off or if I plateau, like I wouldn't, I'm not opposed to finding a race that's competitive, but I would like to just try it. Like the goal is just to win it, you know? I don't care what the time is, like I just want to win. Um, and maybe that would be a U.S. Championship, because honestly, I've never, I've never been a national champion, so that would be kind of neat
0: too. Cool. Uh, two more things I want to touch on before, uh, we part ways here. First thing is just the state of American distance running right now on the women's side specifically. It's an exciting time. We've talked about that heading into Boston 2018. You're a part of it. I think you've been a part of, you know, just sort of the, the growth of it all here in the last 10 to 12 years. Like, Looking back, how do you feel about the current state of, of women's distance running in this country and, and what that means heading into the next Olympics here in, in 2020 and, and even beyond? Like, what do you think those, you know, what do you think some of the kind of key moments have been, uh, that have helped, you know, sort of spark interest and excitement and motivated, you know, younger women to follow in your footsteps and to stay with the sport, um, longer than they otherwise would have?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think this year's is, is gonna be huge. I think we're gonna see a lot of people in the sport doing special things just from what happened at World Championships with Amy's medal, um, the Steeplers just crushing it. Uh gosh, the I mean, the medals at World Championships, Emily Infield a couple years ago, and then you have Shalane's New York win. Um, I think, you know, Dina Dina's medal really raised the bar for us. And so we saw that with Shalane and Kara staying in and believing they could medal. And now it's even more people going, yeah, no, why can't that be me? Um, as for me specifically, I feel like, you know, my Boston run was probably pretty important to say like, oh, okay, like this is someone who started out where I started out. Um, and why can't I be competing for that win? But I, I also think probably for myself, uh, breaking 230 at the 2009 world championships was pretty pivotal. Um, I think we kind of, for a while looked at it and it was like, well, those things are reserved for like Dina's and Kara's. And, you know, I was like this 237 pretty average college runner who stuck with it. And, I didn't break 230. I mean, like, I kind of crushed it. And so the number, beca- it kind of didn't really matter. It was like, well, she ran it under 228. Like, she didn't even do the 229, whatever.
0: Just skipped it um, all together.
1: Yeah. It was just like, it just became this number that was like, it didn't really matter because, you know, we skipped right over that. And so why can't people like me crush 230. Um, and then they started to pretty often. So, you know, it's not very uncommon to have a debut under 230 anymore. Um, and as far as people, People staying in the sport, the, the club systems or the, the team systems are huge. Um, you know, obviously the Hansons and Brooks have done a ton, you know, that's kept a lot of people in the sport and seeing what a guy like Brian Cell did, um, and having people look up to that. And, uh, and now you have former Hanson runner Ben Rosario with NAZ Elite and they're doing amazing things. And, um, you have a bunch of guys who are probably knocking out the door of, 210 pretty soon and and you know the women i think they have all sub 230 uh women on their team i'm pretty sure um so yeah i mean it's keeping people in the sport and also um pushing the boundary of what we're, we're good is you know like okay that's just pretty okay now so like let's strive for the next thing um and that's across the board so it's it's definitely exciting
0: as a fan of the sport yourself Who, who or what is exciting you right now?
1: Um, well, obviously Shalane, fantastic. That was really cool on so many levels, um, to see someone who's put so much time and effort into the marathon, finally get that reward, uh, was pretty exciting. Um, and then I think too, truthfully, I've looked at a little bit at the ultra stuff, um, not. No time soon, but in the, <laughs> in the future. And I, I'm, I've always been a big fan of Magdalena Louie. Um, and so watching her compete in some of the stuff she's been doing is really neat. And, uh, I think it was, um, Tim Tolofsen. Yes. Is that your athlete? Yeah. I his, do coach Tim. Yes. His run at the Chaminé was pretty impressive. Like that event was like, oh, like this is intriguing. <laughs> So that's fun. I've been watching that a little bit.
0: So any interest in training, uh, trading your racing flats in for trail shoes in the next few years, or would you rather just stick on the sidelines and be inspired by everyone who's out there already?
1: Um, I think it'd be in the cards for 2021. Heard it here first
0: folks, Des Linden trail runner. Um, (laughs) Last, last question. Who is the toughest competitor that you've ever raced against and why
1: uh Amy Craig (laughs) that was that's an easy question um I don't know why she just wants it to like a whole nother level and um I wish I I wish I could find that like that need to just like push through all kinds of pain and she does it like mid race it's it's unreal you're like this doesn't even matter yet (laughs) Um, and then she'll like regroup and just like out tough you again and again. So it's, it's really cool. And I've seen that from the first day I've ever run with her. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was watching her at worlds and when it was like, ten with, you know, 10 people left with like four miles to go, you know, I, someone was like, I think Ryan was like, you think she's, do you think she's going to medal?" I'm like, sh- it's not whether it's not, is she going to medal. It's what medal she's going to get. She's going to out tough all of these people. Um, and I just, I think she's just so gritty, really cool to
0: watch. Okay. I lied. I have one more question. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I promise this will be the last one. Um, how, you know, I, I know I spooked you earlier with the, what are you going to do after you're done competing question? (laughs) Um, but how would you like to be remembered as an athlete? What legacy would you like to leave on the sport when you are done competing?
1: Um, that's a good question. Uh, I guess someone who just put everything out there, you know, like I like to feel like I got everything out of myself, but also did it in a very, um, open, honest way. Like, I don't feel like I'm, um, necessarily hiding anything. Like you get all the ups, you get all the downs. And, um, so I don't know, maybe just an open, genuine athlete.
0: Awesome. And where can where can listeners connect with you online if they want to follow your adventures and your experiences and all the stories that you're sharing?
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Des, D-E-S underscore Linden, L-I-N-D-E-N. And to be honest, the best stuff goes down in my Instagram stories. So check out that for sure.
0: There you go. Well, thank you for your time today, Des. It was great talking to you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Super fun.